0: bring to you grace and peace from God, our Father, through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. text for today is taken from 2 Samuel. It's the story of David and the poor choices he made, especially in a singular and awful episode of his life when he chose for himself Bathsheba, another man's wife, and in order to have her fully, had that man killed on the field of battle. Just awful, frankly. But as we come to this final word about David, may we always see hope, even in the midst of what is most awful. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for grace in this season of Lent that reminds us you lift us up out of the ashes. You set us on solid ground because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have repented of our sins and turned with trust and faith that he is the Savior of the whole world. Bless us in this hearing of your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe there are two types of parents or caregivers, especially for little children. Some are those that are raising snowflakes. Others are those who are raising future WWE wrestlers or (laughs) spiritual ninja warriors. I feel the need to confess the fact that your pastor, the man standing before you, we, as parents, determined to raise snowflakes. Allow me to embellish, exaggerate, and explain. When we had our first child, we were living in Huntley, uh, Illinois and uh, Abby was uh, learning how to walk, learning how to ride her bike, the whole nine yards, and we had some dear neighborly friends as we kind of all moved into this new subdivision at the same time with all of our little ones. It was an amazing community outside of the church community that I was serving. I loved, in other words, to go home at night and live life with all of these great people. Now, because we were raising two girls that were born the same year they were the same age they were learning to do all the same things at the same time and as would happen when Abby would be running down the sidewalk or maybe riding her you know training wheeled bicycle she would fall down or fall over or something like that and as soon as she did within Just nanoseconds, Renee, my wife, and I would be up, and we would run to her, and we would pick her up, and we would comfort her, and it's going to be okay. And when we would do that, Christy and Darren, who lived three houses down, they would look at us and would make scowly faces. They would roll their eyes because when their daughter Kaylee fell down, they would be sitting up on their front stoop watching the whole scene happen as she's bleeding, hemorrhaging, (laughs) legs torn and rent asunder, frogger, you know, cars going back and forth. She's trying to avoid death. And and they'd be sitting up there sipping on something and and they'd be like, whoopsie-daisy. Kayla, you're good. Just get up. Dust yourself. You're going to be fine, honey. Dry your tears. Drag that leg behind you. It'll mend on its own. It's fine. And then, you know, what Renee and I would do? We would look at each other and like, wow, they're awful. They're the worst parents ever. We would joke about that because they really, it was just interesting. And, And, you know, they, of course, would say of us, Well, there's a bleeding heart pastor. And I would look at them and I'm like, Darren, you are an elder of your own congregation, man. What kind of congregation are you leading? Anyhow, I, I give you those kind of two polar opposite experiences because I think those also correlate to some orientation or experience of Christianity. On the one side, there are Christians, and there are churches that are much more, I'll call them snowflakey, I don't mean to trigger anybody with that word, but you know, that really are responsive. And if there's a hurt, if there's a need, we want to embrace, we want to comfort, we want to encourage and just love on people. And then I think there's also a, a section or part of Christianity that exhibits the kind of behavior that God sometimes exhibits where You mess up you find yourself bearing a cross that is somewhat heavy and burdensome to bear and and you kind of know and realize look we live in challenging times you got to build a thick skin you got to get some resolve and strength and muscle for your spiritual walk otherwise this sinful world's going to run you over and steamroll you to pieces flatten you completely and that side of christianity is more i'll say darren and christie kind of christianity In Lutheranism, by the way, we call this law and gospel. Comfort through the gospel, tough love through the law. Both are necessary, and um, and a church that's worth its metal will have both at work in it. There should be times when you are in this room or in a Bible study that is being led here, you are in spiritual care, and you get upset with me. Or another teacher of our church or another pastor, because we're, we're essentially being Christy and Darren. We're sorry that you're hemorrhaging, but you know, you only have yourself to blame. Get up, dust yourself off, and, and get back in the game. Sometimes you gotta have a little muscle from the pulpit, it shouldn't be that way all the time. There should be an appropriate distinction. As C.F.W. Walther, the founder of our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, back in the 1850s said, there should be a proper distinction between law and gospel. There has to be a balance. But at the same time, if all we're doing is salving over wounds and not talking seriously about the sin That has brought us to this place the sin by our choices which we have committed and maybe even the sin that has been brought on us by the external circumstance of our lives we're also failing we're not being a faithful ministry we end up this four-week series studying king david because king david has had it pretty good overall he had some hiccups there with saul but that's now kind of in the past and He's living pretty large. He has put his care of the flocks behind him. He has exceeded the status of his brothers. He has become the greatest in all Israel. He bears the title of God's anointed. He is the Messiah before there was a Messiah. He was a shepherd before we ever found out who the good shepherd really was. But David made some really bad decisions. It all started the day that he saw upon a roof a woman that he desired, and he said, I think I can make her my slave. I think that I can possess her. And her name was Bathsheba. The details, frankly, are immaterial. The problem is the choice that David made. That's, that's where the rub of it all is found. And the real rub of all of this is not just that he he broke his marriage vow, he behaved lustfully. The, the problem is that he compounded his sin by killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, a soldier in his army. You know, there are simple sins. We commit them all the time. We're out on the soccer pitch or playing a game, and we start losing or make a misstep, and we drop a, a curse word some kind of foul bomb. <clears throat> F bomb. Sometimes we are driving down Hayden or, or cruising through Paradise Valley, and we see a house that's mammoth, and we covet that house. The cars that drive by, especially during Barrett-Jackson. No, simple sins. I mean, sue me, bluntly. I am by nature sinful. These sins of omission, thoughtless sins, they happen in my life, they happen in your life, and when they happen, we do what is right. We apologize, we confess them, and by God's grace, we just move on, we move on. But there are another brand of sins and those are compounded sins lately in the news there's been a man by the name of sam bankman freed heard of him crypto king they call him living in the bahamas free and clear and he amassed billions in a cryptocurrency ponzi scheme something along those lines the truth is somewhere in there. It will come out. But there was no doubt this moment where he made an error of judgment. He, he, he misstepped. Something happened, and it was the first decision that led to a cascade of consequential ones. And his star fell so quickly from the sky. It's shocking to see. Compounded sin is where David finds himself, and he is at rock bottom. The prophet Nathan comes to him, confronts him, and, uh, and David has to deal not just with saying, whoopsie-daisy. He changes and rephrases the whole thing. It's whoopsie Davy," because his life is is an absolute bankrupt mess and he has no one but himself to blame. What we learn is that when David did that, he went into some of the deepest uh, mire and depression of his life. We know that because the Psalms of David tell us and show us what life in the time of compounded sin looks like confessional sim, sin, uh, confessional psalms that express David's sin, like Psalm 32, Psalm 51, where David looks at himself, and he is simply a dark blot on a white sheet of paper, given all the car keys to the Cadillac, so to speak, of God's kingdom and purpose in this world, and he has completely blown it. So deep does he go that he gets to a point where he has nothing more to lean on than the goodness and mercy of God. He is in a valley. The shadow of death was his own making. And he has to come to that point where he realizes he has no one else to cling to than the Lord who is his shepherd because of whom he does not need to be in want, because of whom he is led beside green pastures, quiet waters, because of whom his soul has any chance of being restored, even though by his own choice, his own stupidity, he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet even at rock bottom, he knows the Lord is still moving his kingdom forward. The Lord is with him. His rod and the staff, the staff and rod of the Lord, they are painful. Nathan, the prophet, is the rod and staff of God that speaks a word of condemnation and reproof to King David. But it needed to come, because without it, there can be no victory. No victory in the presence of enemies external to David, those armies and and kings that are surrounding the tribe of Israel, but even more so, the enemy which is himself living out that little aphorism that says, I have looked in the mirror and seen my enemy, and it is me. David walks through the valley of the shadow of death, but in spite of that, God prepares a table in the presence of his enemies. In spite of David's missteps, God's kingdom still moves forward. He anoints his head with oil. The oil of consecration, the anointing of kingship. God sticks with David through thick and thin. My cup runneth over, David says, in spite of my best efforts to the contrary. Surely goodness and mercy, David concludes, will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This David, as we recall from last week, who endeavors to build a house for the Lord, a temple in which God might dwell. The people of Israel may center the affection of their faith. David says, I will dwell in that house of the Lord, not just while it sits here on a plain of land in Jerusalem, I will dwell in the house of God in eternity as well. You see, the sum and substance of this whole sermon series is this. God never lets your sin or my sin, no matter how grievous it may be, or David's sin, stop the patient, intentional advance of his kingdom work The salvation he intends to bring through Jesus Christ. Even in the New Testament, as the New Testament church looks back in the Old Testament, you know what their conclusion was about all that Old Testament history? You know what their summarizing statement was regarding what happened in the Old Testament through that massive cast of characters? It's found in Matthew chapter 1. As Matthew records the genealogy of David from Abraham, or the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham through David, through the exile in the Old Testament, all the way to the end, Matthew just keeps on bringing up hey, you remember Rahab the prostitute? You remember David, Bathsheba? You remember uh, Tamar, who was not even Jewish, and she's part of Jesus' genealogy? You remember Ruth, the Moabitess? Again, not part of the Ethnic culture of Judaism and yet she is still grandma great 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 grandma something like that of Jesus the son of God the savior of the world the king of Israel you remember all those people who showed up in the Old Testament and kind of made a mess of of God's perfect plan guess what God's perfect plan of salvation for you was never ever going to be stopped because of the simple sins a human being committed or the compounded sins a human being committed. God's salvation history from the time that Adam and Eve were ejected from the Garden of Eden started a triumphant, continuous, dogged march to the cross and to the tomb, which would be found empty on Easter morning. And it's because of that dogged march of God's salvation that no matter what sin we find ourselves in, whether simple or compounded, whether like David, as egregious as that was, or the skeletons in the closet, whatever sin it is you think will keep you from God's grace, whatever sin it is that thinks you think excludes you from God's salvation, think again. God comes with a word of law for sure because of which we repent. But when that kingdom comes near there is a Savior who gives refuge for the weary who is a fountain in life's desert dreary. And because he gazed upon this sinner's fall you sinner's fall, yet upon the cross extended he has borne the pain of all. Today at Shepherd, we uh, are launching our Stephen ministry. In a few moments I'll show you a little video, but you have a a little Stephen ministry brochure Sometimes we find ourselves in that desert dreary. Sometimes we find ourselves in a wilderness of temptation. Sometimes we find ourselves bearing a cross that just may be a little bit too much to bear. And uh, we need Jesus, but we also need a friend who can share Jesus with us. There are three pastors in this church. There's a thousand of you. We do our best to get around, trust me. But it's great to have help from qualified and trained people who do great work with a compassionate and loving heart called Stephen Ministers that just want to be there to help and to listen, not to preach, to encourage. So that when the burden of the law comes, the grace of the gospel may be heard even more clearly. So as we make our way forward, just think about Stephen ministry. Maybe not today, but in future days, if you find that the weight is too much. Um, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Easy words to say and read made possible when brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside and say, I'm praying for you. Keep on going. David had that brother in Nathan. Nathan, the prophet, spoke strong words to David. But he also spoke words of restoration. So that when all is said and done, and when David's life came to an end, he had this final hope resting in his heart and mind. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever to which the people of God said,